Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Reply Brief. Once this episode is available on the Truth and Justice main feed, this will be Season 14, Episode 10. In this episode, we're breaking down Jen's recorded interview and the events that led up to it. And this is a pretty important episode, or at least it was for the prosecutors, because this is the episode where they essentially presented the state's narrative that Jen talked to the police before the police ever talked to Jay, and she had a lawyer present, and therefore, Adnan must be guilty. The logic is pretty simple and it's accurate. If the police went to Jen before they ever talked to Jay, then Jen's story, while it could have come from Jay, could not have come from the police, which of course is the most widely accepted theory as to where Jay's narrative came from. But the key word there is if. If Jen talked to the police before Jay did, which is what we're going to be focusing on in the first segment. In the second segment, I'll break down the key elements of Jen's statement. As far as Brett and Alice, I don't really see a need to talk about their presentation on this one. Their episode is mostly them reading Jen's statement and sharing their opinions about it. Since I'm not doing this to argue about opinions, I don't see that as an effective use of our time. Basically, they think Jen is being honest, and for the most part, I agree with them. I believe that Jay told Jen the things that she's saying in this interview. I think she's adding in some details that she knows aren't true, but the bulk of the story comes from Jay, and I think she probably believed him. So here are the two perspectives and theories. Brett and Alice believe that the police went through the phone records, identified Jen's number, talked to her, and that's when they discovered that Jay was the one who had the phone. She tells the basic story, then the cops go to pick up Jay, and he confirms her story, kind of. And if you believe that theory, then it's easy to understand why you might be thinking Jen is really the linchpin of this case. So that's one theory, but here's mine. When the police got to Adnan's phone records, they first went to the first person that he called on the day Hay was killed, Jay. They picked him up, and I'll explain this here in a few minutes, but when they picked him up, they caught him with a bunch of weed. They immediately started interrogating him and threatening him with being charged with the murder. And then, Jay threw Adnan under the proverbial bus to save his own ass. Simple as that. He told the police that he didn't kill Hay, Adnan killed Hay. And I think he gave them some story that made absolutely no sense. And I think that's when Ritz and McGillivary got their claws into him. They kept leaning on him and workshopping stories with him. But on the obvious ways, like you might see on TV, not some huge crazy conspiracy, I don't think they said, Okay, Jay, 
I know you don't actually know anything about this murder, but we're going to give you a story to tell so we can arrest Adnan. I don't think that's what happened at all. I think instead they just kept putting pressure on him, making suggestions along the way as they got other intel, like cell phone locations. They showed him pictures of the crime scene as an intimidation tactic. I think they pulled him in and interrogated him at least three times before Jen was interviewed. And by then he had some version of a basic story to pass along to Jen as his corroboration to save his ass. I don't think that Jen knew anything about any of this before Jay started talking to the police. Throughout this episode, I'm going to play a couple of clips from the HBO docuseries so you can hear in their own words what Jen and others have to say about how things went down. So first things first. In Jen's statement, everything she said was, Jay said, fill in the blank. We'll get to those details in the second segment, but to be clear, I'm not theorizing that Jay told her the basic story. She says that Jay told her the basic story. That's not in dispute. The only thing that she includes in the statement about the night of the murder that is a direct experience that she had was when she picked Jay up that night, which most likely did happen. Jay didn't have a car. He was riding around with Adnan, and Jen eventually took him over to Stephanie's house. So most likely, Jen did meet them somewhere so Jay could get in her car. But she also said that as soon as she picked Jay up, he told her to drive around to a dumpster at the mall so he could wipe his fingerprints off of the shovels. That is the one thing Jen said that she claims to have actually experienced firsthand. Although she also says that she didn't actually see him with any shovels. So that's the one thing she says in her interview she has actually experienced on the night of the murders. But listen to how she remembers things years later. I really thought that everything I knew was like hearsay. Because I didn't see anything and I didn't experience anything. Everything was told to me by someone else. She didn't experience anything and everything was told to her by someone else. Taking Jay to wipe his fingerprints off the shovels would seem like a pretty memorable experience. And while Jen does say that she did that that night, she also says that she didn't know that Jay even knew where the body was, much less help with the burial, until almost a year later. I guess it was about two weeks before the first trial when I found out that um, he had helped uh, Adnan bury her body in the woods, and he really didn't know where the body was. Now, if you think all of that sounds strange and maybe a little confusing, I agree. It does. Everyone can interpret that however they want to, but to me, even the wiping off of the shovel sounds like something Jay told her to say. So then the question becomes, why would Jay tell her to say all this stuff? And the answer is, because Jay had already been crafting a story with Ritz and McGillivary for over a week. I've mentioned this before, but this is the time and place to break it all down. So let's talk about Jay's boss at the video store, Sis. Once Adnan's defense team finally learned that Jay was the witness that the state was going to use at trial, they began trying to gather information about him. Now, whether you think Adnan is guilty or innocent, either way, depending on your perspective, Adnan never told his defense attorneys why or how Jay was involved. And here's the perspective part. That's either because he didn't know or understand how Jay was connected, and that's the innocent argument, or because he didn't want his defense to know how Jay was involved. That's the guilty argument. And that's one of those things that you have to just sort out in your own mind. If Adnan is guilty, and he knows that Jay helped bury the body, would you expect him 
even if it was some kind of lie, to try to explain JOA to his attorneys, to give them something to work with? Or do you think he would just play dumb and force his lawyers to go to trial having no idea what they were up against? I can't tell you what to think about that. You're going to have to work that out on your own. But the defense investigators went to the video store to gather some intel on Jay, and that's when Sis told them that Jay had missed work on either the 21st or 22nd of February because the police were questioning him about Hayes' murder, and then they picked him up again and he missed work on the 26th, the day before Jen was interviewed, and then again on the 28th, the night we have the recorded interview on the record. So that's some of the evidence that the police were talking to Jay before they claimed to have been. And next, let's look at Jay's own words from an interview he did with The Intercept in 2015. This is Jay speaking, quote, I wasn't openly willing to cooperate with the police. It wasn't until they made it clear they weren't interested in my procurement of pot that I began to open up any. And then I would only give them information pertaining to my interaction with someone or where I was. They had to chase me around before they could corner me to talk to me. And there came a point where I was just sick of talking to them. And they wouldn't stop interviewing me or questioning me. I wasn't fully cooperating. So if they said, well, we have on the phone records that you talked to Jen, I'd say, nope, I didn't talk to Jen. Until Jen told me that she had talked with the cops and that it was okay if I did too. End quote. So there came a point where I was just sick of talking to them and they wouldn't stop interviewing me or questioning me. He very clearly there said all of that was going on before they talked to Jen. Ritz and McGillivary talking to Jen, according to Jay, was the trigger for him to sit down and do a recorded interview. And let's not forget about Neighbor Boy, who said that he saw Jay in a car talking to the police before his official interview. And then the biggest giveaway is how they got to Jen in the first place. The official narrative is that Ritz and McGillivary went through Adnan's phone records and wanted to talk to the people Adnan spoke to. But that doesn't really make any sense because the first call on that log on the day of the murder was to Jay. Why would they skip past him? At 10.45, the phone called Jay. Then at 12.07, it called Jen. And they go to Jen first. Now that's odd, but this is odder. If they haven't talked to Jay yet, and we know the call log says that the number belonged to Anthony Pusateri, Jen's dad, then why and how did this happen when Ritz and McGillivary approached Jen for the first time? They asked for Jen by name. I mean, we were walking, I mean, it was pitch black, and we were walking from her front door to my car, and we're walking along talking, and out of the shadows they come. Are you Jennifer Pusateri? We're homicide detectives. We'd like you to come down and talk to us. I immediately thought to myself, this has something to do with that night. Now, that's a little different than the way Christy testified at trial, but not by much. This is what she said years before at trial. Quote, They asked, is this such and such address? She said, can I help you? They said, does Jennifer live here? Or are you Jennifer? Or something to that effect. And she said, can I help you? And that's when they identified themselves. End quote. Now, Jennifer at trial was asked, quote, Now, at some point, they communicated to you not only were they looking for your address, but they were looking for you, right? Jen's answer, right, end quote. Remember, Jen had a brother who Jay also hung out with, 
And supposedly they didn't know any of that. They only knew that the phone belonged to Anthony, Jen's dad. And yet somehow they knew they needed to speak to Jen. The evidence that Jay was talking to the police on multiple occasions before they spoke with Jen is overwhelming, bordering on indisputable. In order to convince yourself that this didn't happen, you have to ignore all of that evidence. And also believe that your star witness was making up all of these interactions when speaking on the subject for himself. And listen to how Jen recalls her first interview. And I went to Jay to ask Jay what to do. He worked at this porn store that had quarter booths. Yeah, it was weird. So I go into a store and I remember telling him, like, yo, homicide came to my house. Now what? And I remember him saying, tell them what you need to tell them to stay out of trouble and tell them come see me. Like, I remember sitting in that room with them and I remember the picture on the wall, these birds. <laughs> because I guess I kept looking at the picture rather than looking at them. The questions that they asked, you would have definitely thought that they talked to someone else first. The questions that they asked, you would have definitely thought that they had talked to someone else first. I don't know exactly what she meant by that, but it sounds to me like she was being asked some leading questions about the things she later told in her recorded interview, as if the detectives had already heard a version of that same story before. And lastly, let me play this clip from Jay's ex-girlfriend and mother of his son. If you remember from the docuseries, Jay's ex called him in front of the camera to ask about what happened. Jay did not know that she was with the documentary team. And really quick, before I play this, I do want to say that when you hear about what a decent and good guy Jay is, and how really all his lies and changing stories are because he was probably trying to protect the women in his life, try not to forget his ex telling the story about Jay beating the living shit out of her in front of their son. And the police reports from that incident. And the pictures that we saw of her beaten and bloody face and her black eye that Jay gave her. We see all of that in the docuseries. Now, listen to what Jay himself told her about how he got involved in Adnan's case. He said he got caught with a whole bunch of weed and... um, it was so much weed, they were trying to pin it on him. So basically, he ratted the man and gave him a bigger story to, to get um, him locked up. And he basically gave them what they wanted to know so he could get off. So according to Jay now, all of this started because he got caught with a bunch of weed. Not because on February 28th, the police picked him up at work for his first interview about the case. He got caught with a bunch of weed. He was threatened. And then he threw Adnan under the bus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? 
Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so at this point, I've made my case that Jay was talking to the police on several occasions before they talked with Jen. I think that when you consider everything that I just shared with you, it's actually bordering on conspiracy theory territory to maintain that the police found Jen first. In order to believe that, you have to also believe that Christy and Jen are both wrong about the fact that the detectives knew they were looking for Jen specifically when they went to her house. You have to believe that Neighbor Boy, or Ernest, was lying or wrong when he said he saw Jay talking to the police near Jen's house before they talked to Jen. You have to believe that Sis is wrong or lying about Jay missing work to talk to the police about Hayes' murder twice before his official interview. You have to believe that Jay is again lying when he himself said that the police wouldn't stop interviewing him and questioning him before they interviewed Jen And you have to ignore the fact that Jen herself said that it seemed like the police had talked to someone else about Jay's story before they talked to her. All that being said, I'm sure there are still some of you who will choose to ignore all of that, and that's your prerogative. When I look at the available evidence, my conclusion is that the police were definitely speaking to Jay before Jen. And that puts me in kind of a precarious position, because if that's true, If Ritz and McGillivary were speaking with Jay on multiple occasions before they spoke with Jen, then we have to wonder why. I realize that the Adnan is guilty crowd considers my take on this case conspiratorial, but I don't see how anyone can trust anything that happened from this point forward. If the detectives lied about talking to Jay before Jen, there has to be a reason for that. They didn't just forget to mention it. And if they were willing to lie about that, then I don't trust anything they say. Moving forward, it's up for you to decide what you believe about the circumstances leading up to Jen's interview. And now I'm going to walk you through what she told the police. There are three interactions between Jen and the investigators before her official recorded interview. On February 26th in the evening, Jen was approached at her house. She tells them she's busy, but she'll go to the station later to speak with them. That's number one. Then later that night, she goes to the station and tells the detectives that she doesn't know anything at all. So that's the first two. Then, according to her recent interview and from what she said during her official police interview, she then goes to the video store to talk to Jay. They speak that night, and whether it's a recap or it's the first time that Jay tells Jen this story, he tells her what happened. And I'm not speculating about that. Jen herself says that's what happened. Then the next day, on the 27th, Jen gets in contact with attorney James Falley. 
and McGillivary and Sergeant Lehman, remember Lehman is the officer who ordered the satellite lots at the airport to be searched for Hayes' car on this very same day. The detectives, along with Jen, her mother, and her attorney, all meet at Fally's house around 1 p.m. This is an unrecorded interview. Now, Brett and Alice point out how odd this whole situation is, and I agree. For starters, I do agree with them that the police are not feeding Jen this story during the interview. She's sitting there with her mother and her attorney. But the odd thing is that once the tape starts rolling, Jen straight up confesses to accessory after the fact. She says that she took Jay to conceal evidence and that she concealed the fact that she knew who killed Hay for six weeks. Now, it wouldn't be an odd circumstance at all for the DA to offer immunity to a witness like Jen in a situation like this. But that didn't happen that we know of. It's incredibly strange that her attorney sat by while she confessed to all of this without any protections. In my opinion, he had to know that Jen was safe from prosecution in order to allow this to happen. My personal guess is that it was discussed in the earlier unrecorded interview at her attorney's house. I just don't believe that Jen didn't have any assurances that she wouldn't be prosecuted before her lawyer let her do this interview. This just seems to me like another instance where the state is hiding the ball. So then at 3.45 p.m., Jen is at the police station and the tape begins rolling. Here are the basic beats of her story about the day of the murder. McGillivary begins the interview by asking Jen what, if anything, she knows about Heyman Lee's murder. And the first sentence out of Jen's mouth is, quote, All I heard about this event was from an individual named Jay, and Jay told me around 8 that evening that uh, Adnan, Hayes' ex-boyfriend, had killed her, and uh, that's, I mean, as far as my day goes, and then she starts talking about her day. All of this comes out in one long exchange without any interruptions from anyone. Jay told me Adnan killed Hay, this is my day, and she just goes. She says that she went to work that day, and she called Jay from work and asked if he wanted her to pick him up after to go hang out. He says yes, but then later he got back in touch with her and said never mind, he would just meet at her house. Between 1 and 1.30, Jen gets home and Jay is already there with what she assumes is Adnan's car. She says that he had a cell phone and that he told her he was waiting for a call that was supposed to come at around 3.30. They hang out at the house and around 3.45, Jay got a call. She doesn't know who the call was from or what the conversation was about. Then she says that Jay hung up and then he received another call and then Jay left. Now I want to point out that I think Jen is telling the truth at this point. This all reads very believable to me. I think that when she was asked about the day that Jay came to her house with someone else's car and phone, she recalled that day and the events of that day as best as she could remember. I want to be clear that I do believe that Jay went to Jen's house that day. He did get some calls and he did leave. But notice what Jen says about the calls. Quote, I don't know whether it was on my phone or whether it was on the cell phone that Jay had. End quote. That's an interesting little detail. Anyway, she moves on to explain the time when Jay left. Quote, Then Jay left my house, probably around 3.30, 4, 4.15, well, after 3.45, between 3.45 and 4.15. I left my house between 4.15 and 4.30 to go pick up my parents from work. End quote. So if we believe that Jen's being honest about this part, she has a pretty solid anchor. She knows that she left at 4.15 to 4.30 to pick her parents up from work. She seems to know that Jay left just before that. 
And that's a big problem. Because in order for there to be a shred of a chance for Adnan to be guilty, he would have had to call Jay at 3.15, a full hour before Jen left to pick up her parents. This is a major conflict that is never reconciled anywhere throughout this case, not at trial, and not even by Jay. Now I'm going to insert my personal belief about what I think is happening here. I think in the pre-interview, McGillivary had the cell phone records, and he's already talked to Jay and has some version of a story from him. I believe Jen probably told this version of the story during the unrecorded interview, and McGillivary presented her with the cell records. Not in some obvious nefarious way where the attorney has to be complicit in creating a false narrative, but more like, well, we know he got a call at 3.15 and we believe that's when he left to get Adnan. It's right there on the call log. Does that ring a bell? Maybe Jen says, I don't know, that doesn't make sense because I remember him getting the call and leaving right before I left the house to get my parents. But Jen, that can't be right because we see the call log. He didn't get a call in that time frame. And I think that's why she stumbles through this and she says she doesn't know if the incoming call was on the cell phone or her phone. The only thing that makes sense to me is that she had already been presented with the call log and knew that the time she was saying didn't match up. So she throws in that the call could have come in on her landline. And it's moments like this that make me believe that Jen truly believes what Jay told her. She's absolutely not just relaying what the police told her to say. Or she would have said the call came in at 3.15 or 2.36, I guess. And I also think this is a good indication that McGillivary is a little confused at this point, too. I think at the very least, he wants to believe Jay. Because that means he can close his case and move on. I don't think he's put all the pieces of the puzzle together yet. That doesn't happen until Jay's second recorded interview, when they change everything to try to make it fit with the cell records. At this point, I think they have a guy who claims to be a direct witness to the murder, and they now have a corroborating witness. They know they have some problems, so they're using some sleight of hand to try and clean things up, like pretending they haven't talked to Jay yet. But also, things are moving fast, and they haven't worked out yet exactly how all the timings are going to have to fit together to make this work. Anyway, back to the interview. Jen says that she went downtown to pick up her parents and got home around 6 or 6.30. Quote, And ate some dinner, I guess. And then I think Jay paged me because we supposed to be hanging out later that night. So I believe Jay paged me or either I called him or one way or another we, he left a message for me on my pager telling me where to pick him up, which was originally an audible park around between seven and eight, end quote. Now this is where it reads to me like Jen is trying to remember a story rather than an event. Listen to the qualifier she's using, and the stammering, and the multiple possibilities. I guess, I think, I believe Jay paged me, or either I called him, or one way or another we, he left a message. To me, all the hesitation reads like she thinks she knows how this went, or at least she thinks she remembers what Jay told her to say, but she's also trying to recall what the cell records show. This isn't like Jay's interview where he doesn't have a lawyer and the cops are literally pointing to the timeline for him to repeat like in his second interview. If I'm right, Jen was just confronted with the call log earlier. I think she's genuinely confused. It's very possible that she's recalling details from an entirely different day. Based on the phone records and the statement from Adnan's track teammate, it wasn't uncommon for Jay to be driving around with Adnan's car while Adnan was at track practice. But in any case, Jen goes on to say the message left on her pager was confusing, 
even though she just said she wasn't even sure if she called him and talked to him or if he left a message. So she says the message was confusing, so she called Jay back. Quote, the message was confusing, so I called, I called Jay back. I did not get to talk to Jay at this time. At that time, Adnan answered the phone and said he would call, Jay would call me when he wanted me to come and get him. So I guess around any time between 8 and 8.30, I believe I either got a page or a call from Adnan, or, well, from Jay, not Adnan, from Jay, telling me to meet him at Westview Mall parking lot in front of Value City. So since we were supposed to be hanging out, I went. I picked up Jay just as normal. End quote. So Jen says at this point, everything's normal, and she's going to pick Jay up at the Westview Mall. And I'll read to you directly how she describes what happened when she picked Jay up that night, right after a short break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Quote, Jay got in the car, was like, put on your seatbelt, let's go. I was like, all right. Then he was like, now Jen, I need you to keep your mouth shut if I tell you this, and I have to tell you because I don't know. He said, I need to tell somebody. He's like, I'm the only person that knows and I need to tell somebody. And then the information that he told me was that Adnan killed Hay. And I was like in complete shock at this point, not knowing, you know, what to do or what to say or anything. I questioned Jay about his involvement, and Jay told me that he had no involvement. All he had done all day with Adnan's car was he needed the car because it was his girlfriend's birthday to go get her a birthday present. 
That's why he had Adnan. Well, that's what he told me. Adnan's car was to get his girlfriend a birthday present. And um, then I asked him, you know, did you help him? Did you know anything? And he said, no. I said, how do you know that he killed her? I was like, I don't know, inaudible. How do you know? You know, how is this true? And he told me that he saw Hayes' body in the back, in the trunk of a car. I don't know whose car this was, but in a trunk of a car, saw Hayes' body. I said, well, where? Jay says to me, Adnan's going to get caught. He's going to get caught. I said, why Why is he going to get caught? How's he going to get caught? Jay said to me that he, from what I understood, Jay told me was that Adnan did this in Best Buy parking lot, which is the Best Buy in Woodlawn uh, over in security. And, um, and then we, this is like after we had left the mall parking lot, then Jay mentioned to me that he knew where Adnan dumped the shovel or shovels. I don't know how many there were. But he mentioned to me that he knew where Adnan had put the shovel, and um, I, he was like, take me back to Westview Mall parking lot. I pulled back to Westview Mall parking lot, and we pulled in the back. Jay got out of the car and walked over towards the dumpsters. As Jay was inaudible, as Jay left the car to go over to the dumpster, he told me to sit and watch and see, you know, watch to see if there's mall security. You know, check to see what's going on. Keep a lookout. So that's what I was doing, sitting there watching that. So then after that, Jay came back to my car and he was really shooken up. He's completely shooken up. He was like, you have to take me to go see my girlfriend now. I took him. I'm pretty, I think I, I think that's what he did. I think I took him to see Stephanie because he was very concerned for Stephanie's well-being. He didn't want Adnan to ever talk to Stephanie again. He didn't want Stephanie to talk to Adnan again, but he didn't know how to tell Stephanie not to talk to Adnan. Because if he said something like that to Stephanie, then she's going to be like, why? He's my friend. Why can't, you know, and Jay don't want to have to explain anything. He would not tell anybody, anyone that he knew, because he didn't want Adnan. He didn't want, he told me not to tell anyone because he was concerned. Not that Adnan would necessarily come after him, because I guess as far as I know, and as far as Adnan knows, the only person that knows anything about this is Jay. Um, I don't think Jay has went back to Adnan and told Adnan that he's told me. I don't know. And Jay, um, Jay um, came. I took, I think I took Jay to Stephanie's house. After we had left Stephanie's house, we went to my friend Christie's and stayed there for the remainder of the night. End quote. That's it. That's Jen's retelling of her experience from the day of the murder. I'll post the full transcript on the website. There's obviously more to the interview. She talks about taking Jay to get rid of his boots the next day. She retells the story, and as she's probed a bit, she adds in more detail, like Jay telling her that he took Adnan back to practice. She also goes into detail about when she picked Jay up. She says that she arrived at the mall before him. She was sitting there when Adnan and Jay pulled up in Adnan's car. Quote, Jay got out of the car and got in the passenger seat of my mom's car that I was driving that night. And um, Adnan said hi to me, said, hey, what's up, girl? And I was like, hey, what's up? And then we left the parking lot, end quote. So here are the basic beats of her basic story. She called Jay that morning and planned to pick him up after he got home from work. He left her a message later and said, don't bother. He would just meet her at her house. When she got home from work, Jay was already there with someone's car and cell phone. 
Jay told her he was waiting for a call to come in around 3.30. Between 3.45 and 4.15, Jay gets two calls and then he leaves. They have plans to hang out later that evening. Then Jen goes to pick up her parents from work downtown and gets home around 6 or 6.30 and she eats dinner. She's planning to pick Jay up later to go to Christy's house. Then Jay leaves her a voice message on her pager telling her not to pick him up. He's going to be later than he thought. She calls him to clarify and Adnan answers. He tells her Jay is busy and he'll call her back. And that is supposed to be the linchpin of the state's case. The Leakin Park ping. The call when Jen called Jay during the burial. But a huge problem with the Leakin Park ping that supposedly happened during the burial, aside from being impossible as I proved in an earlier episode, to refresh your memory, the phone was up near Woodlawn making a call that started at 7 p.m. and ended at 7.01. That leaves precisely eight minutes for Jay and Adnan to then drive to the park and ride, get Hayes' car, Adnan to get into Hayes' car, then drive to Leakin Park, find a burial site, get her out of the car, and drag her body over 120 feet into the woods and be in the middle of digging when the call came in. Well, it takes at least eight minutes just to drive to the park and ride from that location. That entire story and narrative is provably false, easily provably false. But here's another issue with it. Both Jen and Jay say that she was the 709 call that pinged the Leakin Park Tower. Jen says she talked to Adnan, and he says Jay was busy. And Jay says he was standing right there and witnessed this call. So that means in order for the state's narrative to fit, Jay and Adnan have to be together somewhere when this call came in. Well, we know for a fact that they weren't standing in Lincoln Park at the burial site, so where were they? If we're trying to match up the call log to Jay's story, this call would have to have happened before they picked up Hayes' car and body, while they were still in the same car. Once they got the car, they couldn't have been together. Jay couldn't have witnessed the call. As I've been saying for weeks, there is no story that can reconcile the call log, the drive times, and Jay's story. It's impossible. But back to Jen's story, after she talks to Adnan, then a while later, Jay calls and tells her to pick him up at the Westview Mall. She gets there first, Jay and Adnan arrive in Adnan's car, Adnan says hi to her, then she and Jay drive away. After they drive away, Jay tells Jen that Adnan killed Hay, and tells her to pull back into the mall so he can wipe prints off the shovels in a dumpster. Jen does not witness him doing so or ever see the shovels. Then they go to Christie's and then to Stephanie's. And as far as Jen knows, Jay had no involvement in the murder or burial. He just knows that Adnan did it because Adnan showed him Hay's body. And lastly, I touched on this last week, but I want to mention it here again. Jen is asked about Hay's car, and she is crystal clear in this interview that she doesn't know anything about the car. Jay never mentioned it. But here's a little nugget for the the police didn't know where the car was until Jay showed them, folks. Please explain the fact to me how when McGillivray wrote his report on this interview, he said that Jen told him that Jay and Adnan dumped Hay's car off on Edgewood Avenue. How is that possible? Well, for starters, he's lying. We have the recording and the transcript. Jen doesn't have a clue where the car is. So first things first, this is another provable example of McGillivary falsifying the record to fit his narrative. But more importantly, since we know that Jen didn't tell him where the car was that day, 
How did he know where it was? Something for you to ponder over the next week. If you're listening to this in real time on Patreon, there will not be an episode next week. I'll be up in the mountains with no phone or internet access. If you're listening to this on the main feed, ignore that. That trip happened two months ago. Unless this is dropping the week before Christmas, then there won't be an episode for you next week either. But either way, when we return, I'll be breaking down part 10 of the Prosecutor series. And this is where we dig into Jay's interviews. That's next time on Truth and Justice Reply Brief. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com Design Created manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kaywood Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod, and I can be found on social media at BobRuffTruth. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.